0: Well, thank you very much indeed for um, the opportunity to speak uh, this morning. Uh, This is the first Sunday in the new year. Uh, New year brings new opportunities, new challenges, things to look forward to, uh, maybe things to be a little bit apprehensive about. But uh, it does seem, I think, a little bit strange that this is just the first Sunday in the new year. The new year seems to have started as far as I'm concerned, quite a long time ago, although it was only at the beginning of the week. But we've had plenty of time now uh, to have broken all the New Year's resolutions that you have made. Um, So if that has happened, if you've broken all your New Year's resolutions, um, I've got a new one for you, one that I want to give to you today, one that I want to encourage you to keep throughout the year. And my Uh, suggestion for your new New Year's resolution is never give up. Never give up. The verb to give up occurs six times in the New Testament. Six times we're told of certain things which we are never to give up. I I remember once uh, browsing in a bookshop, as I frequently do, and I came across this book that was written by a man called David Wilkerson. Someone, some of you may remember the, the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. It was a kind of Christian classic back in, I suppose, maybe probably in the 1960s, about his ministry among some of the gangs in New York. But on the cover of this book, there was this picture of a man, uh, an athlete. He looked as if he was running a marathon, uh, but it must have been near the end of the race, and his head was down. Um, as far as I could see, you know, his face looked contorted and in, in pain. Um, uh, his vest was soaked with sweat, and his knees looked as if they were ready to buckle under him. And uh, the title of the book was "Have You Felt Like Giving Up Recently?" Well, my New Year's resolution to you, uh, for you, is never give up. I said uh, uh, this verb occurs six times in the New Testament, although it's not always translated, you know, from the Greek into the English in in that way. Uh, Even as we'll see as we go through a few passages here, sometimes it says don't give up, sometimes it says don't lose heart, sometimes don't be discouraged, sometimes don't grow weary, sometimes never tire. But each time it's the same verb in the original language. And so, you see, it has a range of meanings, but basically, it, all, it always means don't give up. So, what are we not to give up? Well, the first time that it occurs is in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. If you have a Bible there in front of you, maybe you'd like to turn to that. Uh, it's a parable, a parable which Jesus told his disciples And Luke 18 verse 1 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He tells this parable to his disciples to tell them that they should always pray and not give up. And then the parable, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I'm sure you've read it before. It's about two two characters, an unjust judge and a poor widow. Uh, And the uh, unjust judge, he doesn't fear God or cares about men. Um, He seems totally indifferent to any outside pressure upon him. But this poor widow, this poor widow, a woman uh, who has nothing, no rights, no privileges, no clout, as we would say, she keeps coming to him. And because she keeps coming to him and persists in asking him to look favorably upon her, her cause uh, and to give her justice, the, the unjust judge, in the end, gives in to the woman because of her persistence, because she did not give up in coming to him and asking uh, for his, his, his decision. Now, Jesus' point is, don't give up praying. I think Jesus assumes here that all his followers will at some time or other be tempted to give up praying. And I'm sure we all know that in our own experience. There are times when we just find prayer difficult. There are times maybe when we think we're too busy and we can't fit it in. There are times maybe when our hearts go a bit cold spiritually. There are times when we just uh, can't be bothered, if we're honest. This is a a frequent temptation to give up praying. Uh, I get a a magazine or a paper, a Christian paper called Evangelicals Now. And usually at the back of it, there's an interview with someone about their Christian life and experience. And they always ask them this question about, what about your prayer life? And I think every time, without exception, they all say, well, it's not what it should be. It's not what I would like it to be. I don't know any Christian who ever says they're totally satisfied with their prayer life. We all know that we have weaknesses here. We all know that we have feelings here. We all know that we we really should do better. So, Jesus says here, we should always pray and not give up. And really, as you, as you look at the parable, you can see that he's drawing a contrast really between the unjust judge and God himself. And really, the point of the parable is that God is not like the unjust judge. God is not like the unjust judge. I mean, he is totally just. But he's more than that. He's gracious. And elsewhere, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to God and address him as their father. So you see, God is not an unjust judge. God is a loving father. And the, the widow the widow is a, a poor woman in that society. She would have no rights, no, no influence, no one really to, to no leverage that she could impose on them. But we're not like, that we are, as it refers to in the parable, his chosen ones, his children. So you see, how much more if the unjust judge listens to this poor widow because she doesn't give up, how much more will God listen to and answer the prayers, because he is our loving father, of his children who come to him. So you see, this is the encouragement that Jesus is giving to his followers to pray and not give up. So that's that's the first part of your New Year's resolution, right? Don't give up, pray. The second uh, reference comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. uh, And uh, if you have your Bible there, then just... If you can flick over to it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. And here the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Well, that's our verb again, but this time the NIV has chosen to translate it as do not lose heart. And so, that every time this verb occurs in the New Testament, it always is preceded by the negative. It's always don't. It's always not. Uh, so, here, here it, 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 it's translated as do not lose heart. And if you look at down at verse 16, uh, we read, therefore, we do n- not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So, both at the beginning and the end of this section, the Apostle Paul says that he does not lose heart. Although he may be tempted to. Uh, He doesn't lose heart in gospel ministry. Although for him, maybe there was a temptation at times to do so. I think the temptation, maybe we can see what it is, if we read through that section of Scripture, we'll see, first of all, that maybe he was tempted to lose heart because sometimes sometimes the gospel was rejected. I mean, he experienced that again and again. Uh, If you read through the Acts of the Apostles, and you read where Paul goes to a a place, a particular town, and he, he preaches this message of good news about Jesus, again and again we find that he he faced opposition. There were those who rejected his message. There were those who didn't want to hear it, those who wouldn't listen. Uh, At times even, uh, uh, they rejected it quite forcefully and violently. And you can read about him being stoned. You can read about him being imprisoned. You can read about him suffering all kinds of hardships. Hardships. Uh, in, in preaching the gospel because there were people who just didn't want to hear it and rejected it. And as we read, if you read through this uh, chapter 4, you discover not only was the message often re- re- uh, rejected, not not only was it, it seemed as if people were totally blind and just couldn't see. Uh, it did cost. It was hard. It was difficult. Um I think down in verse 8 it says, We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed on every side, but not crucified, but perplexed but not in despair, but persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. You know, he's he's hard pressed, he's perplexed, he's, he's persecuted. It's difficult. And so there must have been this temptation for him at times to give up. When he sees his message being rejected, and it seems to be so hard, there's a strong temptation, I think, for him to give up. But he doesn't. He says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. I mean, gospel proclamation is really the work of the local church. I mean, that's really why we exist as a church. One of the, the primary reason really is to make the gospel known to others, to try and bring this good news uh, about Jesus and about who he is and what he's done for us. We want to bring this life-giving message uh, to the community of which we are part. We want other people to know. We want other people to hear that this is, this is our our goal in a sense to make Christ known that others might come to know him, that others might come to know the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of eternal life. This is what we want to do. This is, this is, this is our, our task. And yet sometimes it seems just difficult. Sometimes it seems as if we have good news that nobody wants to hear. Sometimes we we see uh, people, maybe people, members of our own family, uh, and they've heard the the good news about Jesus. Maybe they've heard it from ourselves, or maybe they've heard it uh, as a child or or whatever. And they just seem to be totally spiritually blind and dead. They just seem to have no interest. And it's tempting sometimes maybe to give up. Maybe to stop praying for them. Maybe to to stop inviting them to church. Maybe to stop looking for an opportunity to witness to them. Because they just seem to be so blind. They're totally in the dark. And they just don't get it. And, And sometimes sometimes the task of, of, of reaching others with the gospel does meet with opposition uh, maybe with ridicule uh, or, 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 or just people keep their distance from you if they think you're like that. So there is this temptation but we're not we're not to give up we're not to lose heart. Paul didn't give up. Paul knew that the gospel was the power of God for salvation to all who believed. Paul knew that God could shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ into anyone's heart. But God could do this. He says that the gospel seems to be veiled. as a veil over people's eyes that they just cannot see they're walking around and there's this veil over their eyes and they can't see the truth of the gospel. Well, Paul says, God can remove that veil. God, by his Holy Spirit, as a person hears this message of the gospel, their eyes can be opened. The veil can be removed. They can see the light. Paul himself had experienced that in a very dramatic way. Remember on uh, his conversion story and he's on the way to Damascus and he's persecuting the church and then suddenly the Lord appears to him and his eyes are opened. Physically he's blinded for a a time, but spiritually his eyes are opened and he can see the glory of Jesus Christ in the face of, of God, or the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, God can break into anyone's life, anywhere, at any time. And so, although the task of spreading the gospel may at times seem to be difficult and fruitless, we do not lose heart we should never lose heart as a church in sticking to this task of seeking to make Jesus known to those around us. God is able to shine his light into the darkest of hearts. So we're not to give up proclaiming the gospel. We're not to lose heart when it seems the message is rejected. We're not to give up, but we're to continue to hold fast to the gospel, to believe in the, it, the power of God to save men and women and to change their lives. So we're not to give up praying, we're not to give up our confidence in the gospel. Third third time this verb occurs is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. If you'd like to turn over to it now. Galatians 6, verse 9. Paul's reaching the end of his letter to the Galatians. And he has a few final instructions uh, to the church that he's writing to there. And he says in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Uh, Our verb, the verb that we're looking at, is the one which comes first in the sentence. Uh, It's translated in the NIV here as do, do not become weary. At the end of the sentence, he has another verb, which is translated give up, but it's not the one we're looking at. And he's sort of repeating himself, but using different words just for the sake of emphasis. But he's saying here, don't give up doing good. Don't lose heart. Keep doing it. Don't become weary. Keep on doing it. For at the proper time, he says, we will reap a harvest. Doing good, I mean doing good. Is simply helping others. Doing whatever we can uh, to help whatever someone else needs. Uh, first, in the church, in the family of believers, but also to all men and women everywhere in the wider community. Remember, Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats. He commended those who had fed the hungry and who had visited the sick, who'd helped the stranger and the homeless uh, and those in prison. Uh, that was some examples, some specific examples of what it meant to do good. Just being as, as helpful as you can to whoever you, comes across your path uh, who is in need. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and the, the Good Samaritan was the one who saw someone in need. Someone they came across them in their, their daily life. Someone who was in need. They were able to help and so they helped in a practical way. That's what it means to do good. Just doing what we can to help someone that we know who is in need. And we're going to keep on doing it. We're not to give up doing it. We can all be selfish. We can all be lazy. We can all say, well, why bother? We're not to give up. We're not to grow weary in doing what is good. The Apostle um, Paul uh, says, We will reap a harvest. There will be some good outcome. We may not know what it is, we may not see it at the time. Uh, John Stott in his, his uh, uh, commentary says, um, active Christian service is, is tiring, exacting work. We are tempted to become discouraged, to slack off, even to give up. And so we need this encouragement that at the proper time in due season, we shall reap a harvest. We're not told specifically what the harvest is. As Stott says, the patient doing of good in the church or community always produces good results. It may bring comfort, relief, or assistance to people in need. It may lead a sinner to repentance and so to salvation. And it will bring good to the doer, not indeed salvation, because we're saved by by grace, not through our good works, but some reward in heaven for faithful service. So we're not to give up doing good. Sometimes charities say that they face difficulty in trying to uh, get get support because people, they say, sometimes suffer from, um, they call it compassion fatigue. There just seems to be, you know, so much need. You know, there's always another earthquake, another disaster, uh, another famine, another war, uh, another tsunami, and the needs of the world just seem so great we're tempted just to say, well, I'm overwhelmed by this. There's nothing I can do. And to give up. But we're told here, do not grow weary in well-doing. Don't give up. Stick at it. Because in due season, there will be a harvest. It will be worthwhile. It will be seen and recognized and rewarded. By God. So that's the third thing. Don't give up praying. Don't give up gospel ministry. Don't give up doing good. Fourth time comes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Ephesians 3, verse 13. And here Paul writes, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And here it's the same verb again. It's the same verb, but this time the NIV translates it, not to be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. And here it seems to be that there's a temptation for some to be discouraged because of Paul's sufferings. Uh, At the beginning of that chapter in verse 3, it's uh, in chapter 1 of our our first one of of this chapter 3, it reads, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul is in prison because of his faithfulness in gospel proclamation." Uh, he was suffering. I'm sure he was frustrated. I'm sure he was um, f- f- feeling, you know, harshly treated. Um, conditions would not have been great. I mean, he's suffering because of his faithfulness to the gospel. Uh, and some of the people in Ephesus must have seen this or heard this and, and were wondering, you know, why has God allowed this to happen to this man, to this apostle? This man is so energetic and gifted and faithful in boldly proclaiming the gospel. Why has God allowed him to be taken and set aside and put into this prison, chained between two soldiers and to spend his day in this, this confinement? Why has God allowed this to happen to him? And they see Paul's suffering and there's a temptation for them to be discouraged. And Paul says, to them, Don't be discouraged. But because of my suffering. Because it is for your glory. Not entirely sure what that means, but I think it means something like it's for their benefit, it's for their good. Uh, it's for the benefit too of the spread of the gospel uh, to, to the Gentiles. Uh, and that's what's happened and has been happening. So Paul says, don't be discouraged in the face of my suffering because God can bring some good out of it. See, it is tempting, isn't it, that we too can get discouraged when we see how sometimes others suffer. And we, see, we, you know, we sometimes we wonder why, why, does, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I'm sure you can think of countless examples uh, from your own experience of people you've known. And they've had to experience some trials, some difficulties, some suffering. It seems that God hasn't answered their prayers. And you wonder, why does God allow suffering like that? Well, it's not because He doesn't care, it's not because He isn't in control, it's, it's not because He doesn't know what He's doing. He he can and and will bring some good out of that. He's allowed this to happen for some reason. We may not actually see what that reason is, but he knows what he's doing. You remember that verse in Genesis, uh, the end of Genesis, uh, the story of Joseph. You remember how Joseph's uh, so badly treated by his brothers and he's sold into slavery and so on. And then Joseph makes good and he he saves uh, the the country from famine, and his brothers have to come down and and get uh, the food that they need from him. And eventually when it's revealed to them that this is Joseph, uh, and they're probably still feeling guilty over what they had done to him, Joseph says to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so you know, Paul is saying here, don't be discouraged at my suffering because God is able to bring some good out of this. We don't know what it is, but he is in control and he does care and he is infinitely wise. And so we're not to give up in the face of suffering. We're to continue to believe and trust that God is in control, that God is good. And then the, the final time that it appears, aren't you glad there are only six references and not 60, right? So the final time that it appears is in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. and 2 Thessalonians... Chapter 3, verse 13. We read, And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. But it's our same verb again. It's still that same verb, uh, to give up. He says, never give up doing what is right never lose heart about doing what is right never never be uh, discouraged about doing what is right second thessalonians 3 verse 13 as for you brothers never tire of doing what is right the situation seems to have been that in this church in thessalonica uh, there were some people who were so convinced that the Lord was going to return at any minute that they 'd given up their daily work. they were just sitting about waiting uh, for the Lord to return and paul saying that 's not right that 's not right these people they 're not working they 're they're, 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 they're just becoming making a nuisance of themselves and uh, bringing the, the gospel uh, into discredit. God has ordained work for our good. This is the normal means by which all who are able to, all who are healthy and strong and have the opportunity, this is the means by which they can supply their own needs and have something over to share with others. So work is a good thing. It's the right thing to do. Uh, so Paul's writing to these people and he says, if you see other people doing something and it's not right, Well, just you ignore them and carry on yourself, and you do what's right. You do what's right. You do you do what you know pleases God. You you do what you know, which is conforms to God's will. I mean, and this is for us too today. You know, whether you know, we see people maybe in our place of work, or maybe in our family, or maybe in society in general, and they're now doing things. They're behaving in ways which you say, well, that's not right. That, that's not what pleases God. That, that, that's contrary to God's will. Uh, that can be discouraging when it seems as if we're out of step with everybody else around us uh, when it comes to how we live our lives. Well, Paul is saying here, well, look, as for you, whatever other people are doing, in society or or closer to home, whatever other people are doing, and you think, well, that's not right, don't you follow them. Don't you be influenced them. Just you keep on doing what is right. Never tire of doing what is right. Continue to live a, a life which is obedient to God and pleasing to Him and conforms to His will. Just you do the right thing. Never tire of doing what is right. So you see, here's my New Year's resolution for to suggest for you today: just don't give up. Don't give up. Um, it, we're coming the next sort of season, in the Christian year, is a, a season of Lent, which, you know, which precedes. Uh, Easter. And sometimes at that time of year, uh, we, people are urged to give up something. What are you giving up for Lent? Well, I'm telling you this morning here's something never to give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up your confidence in the gospel. Don't give up in the face of suffering. Don't give up doing good. Don't give up doing the right thing. Winston Churchill in the middle of the Second World War in October 1941, he went to his old school at Harrow uh, for their speech day and he made one of his more famous speeches. On that occasion, he ended it by saying this, and and this was the time when Britain stood alone practically uh, in the war against Nazi Germany. And... uh, gone through the blitz, and it was a pretty low period in the the nation's history. And Churchill finished his speech by saying, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. So never give up, pray. Never give up. In the gospel. Never give up doing good. Never give up because of suffering. Never give up doing the right thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the very clear instructions of your word, for the directions that you give us as to how to live in a way which is pleasing to you. So help us in this new year. Never give up doing these things which you always want us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.